Okay, so first and foremost, I acknowledge this show is and has been presented on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Boomerang peoples of the Kulin Nations. I acknowledge sovereignty never ceded, treaties have not been signed and pay respects to Elders past, present and becoming as well as any and all First Nations people in the room today. So I guess I'll introduce Selena, who I met um, a few months ago here in Melbourne and we had fish and chips and sat in the upstairs bit here and chatted about a million different things. So Selena Thompson is an artist and performer whose work has been shown and praised internationally. Her practice is primarily intimate, political and participatory with a strong emphasis on public engagement that then leads to joyous, highly visual work that seeks to connect to those often marginalised by the arts. Since 2013, her live work has reached over 10,000 people. She was featured featured in the stage list of 100 most influential leaders in 2018. I was the token black. <laughs> and has been described as a force of nature by the Stage UK and an inspiration by the Independent UK, as well as being named by BuzzFeed in the top 10 black British women killing it in their field. That I'll take. Yeah, yeah. and you should, and you should. And we're also privileged to witness her show, Salt, Salt is about grief, ancestry, home, forgetting and colonialism. It's about where colonial history exists in every day, the politics of grief and what happens inside Selena's head whenever someone asks, where are you from? And won't take Birmingham or a mum's uterus for an answer. <laughs> it's about being part of a diaspora. Salt creates a space for us to talk about all these things and to see where we fit and to think about the changing and healing that's still to come. So here we are, ready and rearing to talk all about these things. I was telling Selena that I had all these questions and emailed her all these questions, and now I just want to watch Beyonce's Coachella performance on there. I know Beyonce was in the reading list. But I will start with this question, and that is, why did you create Salt? Because of the monologue at the beginning essentially so that whole bit from like Edinburgh until probably until about my mum comes in like in my head after somebody says something in me the question is so why did you do this like I think I started writing that big monologue at sea because I was like sat in this cabin (laughs) with nothing to do but read or write and sort of having hallucinations and weird hallucinating dreams and in all this grief 24 7 and the question was why am I doing this why am I doing this and it was because I felt like um sister Zaya was here last night I don't know if she's here now (laughs) sorry hello um but we spoke last night about 2014 and this feeling of fracture of feeling like Myself and the other black people I knew were like screaming, (laughs) screaming and screaming and screaming. And then the white people around me were just like, come and see my show in the Edinburgh Festival. And that's fine. But there's this, I needed people to hear that scream and it needed to be something big big, big, big. It needed to take up loads of space. It needed to be geographically big and historically big and big for me as a person. And it needed to, I needed people, I needed to make something that was as big as the feeling. Um, And 
I also was kind of trying to... Something which is cut from the show but used to be in. I can remember being at the South Bank Centre in London, which is like a really big like art centre on the river. It's very nice. I like it there. I was there one day kind of... Um, reading a book called The Lonely Londoners by a writer called Sam Selvan. Uh, and it's a, like an account of moving to the UK from, um, I can't remember which island in the Caribbean, but it's a Windrush account. And there's a bit when he talks about um, catching a pigeon to eat, which is a story that my granddad also told me. And I remember thinking about like the amount of stuff that had to be put in place for my work that day to be to sit in that place drinking tea and reading that book that was my work and I was kind of like I need to do something that like is even a fragment a tiny fragment of thanks that I've that I'm here that I'm that I exist and that my life is relatively comfortable and relatively safe and incredibly privileged and Pilgrimage doesn't feel like the right words, but I, it's the closest I have. It's the closest I have. Um, is that all right? Yeah. Okay. That's better than all right. I said that I'd have one question, but I have another one, and then we'll throw to the audience. Um, so post-creating Salt, what was... Like, I'm making this up on the fly. I have feelings, but I'm making this up on the fly. Like, once it was created and once you performed it to an audience for the first time, how were you feeling? Where was your head at? So it's a... Oh, I'm going to be a bit of an arty, farty wanker now, sorry. So it, it took such a long time to be created in terms of what it is now. So <laughs> I still get a bit anxious thinking about it. So I got back from the trip on the 12th of April and the first version of the show was on the 12th of May. So, uh, <laughs> it was so horrible. Sorry, I'm just looking at my team. It was one of the most, like, stressful months of my entire life. Um, and there, there was loads of other trauma from that first ship that couldn't be in the show because it wouldn't have been safe for me to perform it. Um, but that I was, like, carrying and I got, like, a crazy-ass knee injury and my back was fucked. And so we did this first version and I don't... The script we rewrote, <laughs> like, as the audience were coming in. And there was, like, a music stand, and I was like, okay, here goes, everybody. And then, so we did this first version, and I did another two-week writing thing, and then we had another festival. We did one version in the afternoon, and then I went, I'm a nightmare to work with. I went, this bit doesn't work, so I'm rewriting it for the show in the evening. I don't know why anyone works with me. It's awful. I was like, it doesn't work. No compromises. We're changing it. And then um, me and Emma, like one of the things that's key to how I make is that you make a show, you ignore it for a year and then you go back to it because you need distance from it. Whatever the research period was kind of needs to sink into your soul so that you can actually make properly. So I ignored it for a year um, and then we got a writing residency, which to me was like wild decadence. They like gave you a room, all your stationary needs were catered to. All you had to do was write. Um, And I was in London, which for me was like incredibly nourishing because there are so many other black artists and creatives in London. So it's very, very easy to be like, I'll buy you a Nando's. (laughs) Will you read this and tell me what you think? So we rewrote it 
again. So there was never like a... And then I worked with a director. I always forget that I worked with a director. I'd never worked with a director before. And something that I love about them is that, especially Dawn, who I worked with, is her rigour. But she was like, I want to understand every single word on this page and why it's that word and not another one. And if you can't tell me why, it's probably not the right word, is it? And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> like, aroused and afraid. So, um, so like... Um, yeah, so it was it was very, like, as well as being all of this stuff that's happening for me spiritually, like, artistically, I think it's, like, the hardest I'd ever pushed myself. Also, because if you're going to talk about black shit, you better get it right, man. You, you, like, better know what you're saying and why you're saying it, and it better be fucking intertextual, and you better be able to reference the fuck out of it, and you better be able to do... I think, I'm not going to apply it to everybody, black makers should be able to make with freedom and wild abandon and create dangerously. But for me, I was like, this has got to be fine tooth combed, especially in the UK where there aren't enough black makers on stage making what they want. And so often you do go on stage with that pressure to be the voice. And I wanted to make sure that it was as... that I felt complete integrity and confidence in what I was doing so that even if someone was like nah I could be like fair but I know I've done the work to have this and yeah so it so it's still and then you know we make it in Edinburgh and you perform it in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival which is weird you have loads of fringes here don't you you've got like Adelaide and Perth maybe and some other ones fringes are weird because you're essentially it's a showcase to your industry and a few people from Edinburgh who are usually quite rich and white so it was and it's very successful in a way that I hadn't anticipated so I'd gone up to Edinburgh like spoiling for a fight I was like I don't care if anybody doesn't like it they're all racist anyway <laughs> and then people were like we really like it and it sold out and here are awards and I was like oh shit <laughs> um, I wasn't ready for that and then it, it before it's even like my mum and dad still haven't seen it so before it's even gone back into the into into home like before I've done it in Birmingham and in London and in places where like a black British audience can see it like went to Brazil and here and then it's like these are different racial contexts and I don't know is the work in service here does it does it work here does it take up space which is needed for other things here what is it doing? How is my work being used? If the British Council have partially funded it, what does that mean? Um, on my team, I work with people that I love and adore and who I've worked with for a long time, but they're white women. So I'm aware that I turn up and it's me and two white women. So what does that mean? So there's like all of these questions that I'm going to like sit in a dark room and drink like Pinot Noir and figure out next month before it goes like to America and Canada next year but it is going to tour the UK but not London when we ignore that when we announce that we're going to get hell for it I know we are so like um even that's not my fault I don't have a fucking theatre um I've answered your question I guess the reason why I asked the question was I thought maybe at the end of a process like what you put together, there would be 
a level of I don't know if contentment is the right word, but 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 something. And that and the reason why I ask is because I kind of want to get there. Ah. <laughs> so it was a selfish question. I don't know. I don't think I feel that. I wish I did, mm-hmm. but I don't. So something I've been thinking about loads this past couple of week with couple of weeks with all of this like Kanye bullshit and also with um that's a great kissing of teeth whoever that was <laughs> so long so satisfying um <laughs> sorry sorry uh, and also with this Donald Glover video that has just come out and watching the split because for every person that thinks that video is great and it's doing something really important there is somebody else that is like this is repeating violence that I don't want to see and it's for the white gays I have no opinion about it for this context but I do find myself thinking about There's a really gorgeous book about um, issues around trans visibility called Trapdoor, which y'all should buy. And there's a writer in there called Che Gossett who speaks about how individuals become hyper-visible at the risk, at the cost of the invisibility of their community. And I've been thinking about this a huge amount as this work tours and is pushed forward and does well. Like, how does this hyper-visibility work? How does it connect back to community? How do I remain accountable even as I move through the world, not just through the country? So it means that like every country I go in, I find myself looking at the work again and thinking, is this terrible here? Like, is this solidarity here? Or is it the opposite? Doing it in Brazil, I was terrified, absolutely terrified, because I was like, this is a, so much of soul is about living within the UK, which very neatly takes itself out of the triangle that it created. It's very good at being like, slavery, that didn't happen here. That had nothing to do with us. Why are you so angry about it? Or being like, slavery didn't happen in the Caribbean, guys. Everybody knows that was American. So there's such a thing in that work, which is like, get back in the triangle, because I'm anticipating a white European audience. But in Brazil, it's not the same. It's not the same, because you're on the land where it happened. You're on a place where people that I would define as black maybe don't see themselves as black. You're somewhere where still, kind of, there are policies about breeding blackness out. Like, there's a whole... Or here, where, like, land is thought of in a very, very different way to how it's thought about in the UK or even how it's thought about... In Jamaica, which as a, like Stuart Hall used to describe Jamaica as like the purest diaspora. And there's a, so in short, I don't, I don't think the work is allowed, allows me to get to that place of contentment because there's just too much. I always think of like um, privilege as being a bit like when you're stood on the beach and the tide comes in and when it goes back out, all the sand moves from underneath your feet. So you're like, oh shit, okay, I've got to change my centre of gravity again. That's what doing the work feels like. Every time the context changes, the sand disappears and I'm like... I'm trying to like beat myself up less. 
and like allow myself to not know. But it's hard because I think that once you've experienced work that feels violent, you really don't want to create work that is that experience for other people. Yes. Thank you. Um, as an, uh, a male uh, African diaspora person, I was incredibly moved by this on, on such a deep level. Like about 25% of what you said, I learned something from the female perspective. I, I, I find that like, as, a, as a black person, I often co-opt the experience that I know what my sisters are going through because I'm black and, you know, you know, we all have hardships and my mama's been through shit and I, I grew up with my mama. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's some things that you were talking about that were just so completely foreign to me that was so distinctively an, a, 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 a black woman experience. And I wanted to know, what is the response from black males? How, what, what you really, how they been talking to you? What they, <laughs> what they got to say about this work? Do you need to repeat So... <laughs> I'm going to try and do this. We'll try and do it now. Uh, <laughs> um, as a black man, I, I feel like I could see the struggles of black women, but I learn a lot from your piece. And so what has the response been from black men? Is that good? Nice. Um. So, I try very hard to insulate myself from audience response as much as possible because um, I think it's volatile around the work. Like uh, in Edinburgh, when we were giving out the salt, we had some people say some wild shit. Um, so... <laughs> uh, I can't, that you're, I don't, so you're not the first black man that's responded in that way. And it's always, um, always takes me by surprise a little bit, actually. I always feel quite nervous of like what a black male response is going to be. And I don't know what, what that nervousness is. Maybe need to spend some time thinking about that. <laughs> and also because it was made with an all-female team. Like, uh... I always work with women. Oh, we had, we had one token man. Uh, but he was the husband of our sound designer. And in his own words, his job was to sit at the back and do what Tanuja told him to do. Because um, so, there, there was a young man that came yesterday who had like quite an extraordinary response, actually. Um, and we spoke for a little while. And there were quite a few men like that in Brazil as well. But also, I don't think we've... I don't think I've had a black man write about it, actually. So, we've had a few black women who have written to us or written about it. But I don't know. I don't know. I and then there, there have been times when a black man has seen it and at the end I've, like... At the end, when I'm giving out the salt, I've felt the wall. I've felt the, I do not want to see you. I do not want to engage with you. I do not want to make eye contact. And maybe that's why 
I sometimes have that nervousness because I know that, like, I've never had a black woman do that to me, actually, after that show. Even if they're in a place where they just want to get the fuck out, they still make a point to, like, give my hand a squeeze before they leave. But I have had experiences where black men have just been, like... And there's a lot in there about masculinity, right? Um, and I say that with, with love, not with condemn, condemnation, but it's a hard one. It's a really hard one. Very powerful for me as well, because I feel like I know what they. When you get to a certain age as a black person, for me, I'm, 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 I'm in the know. But it's it's so nice to be surprised by my people and by a sister telling me my spirit. This is my experience, and 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 I'm learning from you. So I, I just I just want to thank you for that. It's, it's quite powerful. Thanks. <laughs> Does anyone else have a question? Go with Ruth. <laughs> hey, girl. So, my question basically centers the idea of home because you brought it up. And I guess being somebody who migrated here to Australia, was that a choice for a young child? And my mom making that executive um, choice for me to move here, migrate here. There's this sense of um, understanding what home is mm. and this um, not allowing it to be something that you claim, but something that to you, mm. something that is given to you, something is there already for you, something that under- understands you, and then existing in Australia, where it's like, you know, people coming and coming out to you, like, so where are you really from? Like, I'm Australian. Ah. <laughs> and then deconstructing what Australian is actually to mm. you as a, as a person of colour, as a settler. <clears throat> I guess my question is, essentially, what is home to you? So the question is... <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just passed you all the microphone. Um, Selena, mm. what is home to you? Um, I've been thinking about that loads this week as I've been, like, doing this because I feel homesick at the moment. Like, uh, I've been away from home for a month. And when I say away from home... What I'm saying in my head is I've been away from my mum and dad for a month. They are home to me, Um, which is a very privileged thing to be able to say about your parents. Something I was thinking about tonight as I did this show was that I've never felt as adopted as I felt in Jamaica. I rarely ever think about the fact I'm adopted, but I really felt the dislocation when I was there because the parents adopting me were both born in the UK. So there's like something about being that third generation, like it's the, there's just another dislocation that dislocates you from Jamaica, but knowing that if I hadn't, and I wasn't given up for adoption, I was taken, so knowing that if that, if the state hadn't kind of snapped that particular branch of my family tree, that I would like have a very different relationship with Jamaica, it would be with people who grew up there and who were still sending money back there and had a much much different line of connection with it. So I found it very hard to like feel like I felt very broken, like something had been snapped. But also I was aware when I was there that there were things I'd only ever seen in my home 
in Birmingham. They were everywhere in Jamaica. The sounds of people's voices, the rhythms of the way they spoke, the food, the smells, the clothes, the general way of being surrounded me and everything in all the muscle memory in my body tells me that that is safety and comfort and mine. So, but at the same time, like, figuring out your privilege within that space, your wealth as a Westerner, having travelled there, and then you're speaking to taxi drivers and people that you're staying with who could, can't afford to leave or who can't get the visa to leave... So for me, that bit at the end, when I like jump in the scene, it's like all three parts of that triangle and its centre, for me, is the only honest, honest answer. Like, I can't, I can't claim any of those spaces as mine. I don't, but I can't reject any of them either. So it'd be really nice to reject Britishness because, you know, settler coloniser, boo. But at the same time, I've lived there all my life. Like, you know, I, I get somewhere and I'm like, where's the tea? So, like, and not, not, you know, not that kind of tea, this kind of tea. So, like, there are bits of Britishness that are in me, that are in me, and I've, you know, ready to, like, smash up a cafe yesterday because I heard that someone was, like, suing the NHS. So there are bits for me that are very, very British. I was brought up within a Jamaican ethnic tradition, and also Montserrat, like my nan is very like, we're from Montserrat, we're not from Jamaica. So like, um, even when everybody else turned to be quiet. So like, um, and also like, it w- the most challenging thing for me was going to Ghana because there is a a tendency sometimes to like, ooh, so I know that my dad, when he was a young man, was very much a Marcus Garvey, let's go back. And that is romantic, I get it, but it's full of problems. And I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, I can't be claiming Ghana when my, like, when my mate goes back once a year and still doesn't feel like it's hers. Like, if she can't claim it and all her family are there, then I sure as hell can't. But I also need space for like being of African descent and that there's a that I'm descended from people who were stolen from their homes and like I'm I think it's why when we put the show together I was like I can't speak about Ghana I can only speak about Elmina And that bit needs to feel like a wake and a space of going there to grieve and pay something back. Uh, But knowing that that isn't what Ghana is and isn't the whole of the country and that there's loads of other... I still find that really hard to articulate. I've not quite got the... Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Is that okay? Was that... Yeah? Okay, okay. It's perfect. Uh, we've got room for three more questions. There's three, four more questions. Ah, okay. So we'll start with you at the back.
sound vision were there like influence the logistics of the work Okay, I feel like I need to be handing these mics up there. So, how lose your mother? How to lose your mother influence so your trip? Let me make sure that I've got it right. So, you were basically asking how Saidia Hartman's lose your mother influenced both the logistics of the trip and kind of what she's doing with that work, with that book, kind of how it influenced Salt as a whole. How did her work bear on the trip to Elmina? Yeah, so. Lose Your Mother, there's a line in it that I like, Nick, all the time, but I always credit her, which is her saying that she didn't go to heal a wound, she went to excavate it. And I remember reading it and being like, there it is. Like, that's what I'm here to do. Um, I love Lose Your Mother as a whole because it's such a um, shape-shifty text. One minute it's travel writing, the next minute it's very, very academic, then it's memoir, um... But also she never allows herself the comfort of home. Like she's very, um, I think she really holds herself to account about what she's looking for and what she is and isn't entitled to. So I think that that rigour was a very, very big um, influence on the work. Um, and I definitely wanted to go to Elmina because she went there and because I wanted to be able to like hold her experience of that space to my experience of that space and compare the two. Because um, when we were in Ghana, we spent some time with other artists. That was what the bulk of our time was spent. It was with other artists, like speaking to them and learning about making work in Ghana. And we got to spend some time with some really beautiful, really generous people. But in terms of what I actually wanted to do for this work, it was to go to Elmina and to try and figure out, like, what that space was, especially because Elmina was so many things before it was a monument to slavery. It's been like a boxing ring. It's been a school. It's been administrative offices. It's been a hotel. It's been loads of things. But we also had a guide who drove us to see other um, other castles, ones that had been left to just fall into disrepair and were crumbling into the sea and things like that. So it was the space of the hold itself, like the bit that's connecting Ghana to the sea that I was interested in because the sea was the big, the Atlantic was the big thing for me. Um, but also, I'd also read sort of scenes of subjection and really loved the sort of broader Afro-pessimist project of trying to like speak about the psychic life of slavery, not just the spectacle and the physical bodily violence. And that was something that was really important to me in Salt. That there's like one section, I think, which like, I should, I should know. <laughs> there's one section that is like viscerally dealing with physical bodily violence because it needs to be in there. But the rest of it is like, can we talk about this, this and this? Um, and that's the biggest thing I think she gives to the work. Um, but if you're interested in, like, inspirations, there is, like, a reading list that you can find on my blog of, like, films and music and loads of stuff. It was really important to me that it was something that was referencing other things and didn't go down that weird genius route of being, like, this came out of my head as a fully formed egg. It didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you. Um, anyone else? Do you want to go somewhere? Um, so I just want to say thank you so much for for your performance. I I, um, I appreciate that you um, are considering, you know, like how much space you're taking up and that sort of thing. But I I, I also value the fact that we are having um, conversation through art across uh, African cultures, contemporary African cultures, and I think it's it's absolutely vital and important because. Um, the structures that have placed us in this position are the same. So it's important to understand the different repercussions and consequences and how those have acted out in different contexts. I wanted to get back to the, the topic of home and linking that to what I just said is um, I often wonder if we're using the wrong definitions. So the, uh, the prison of the English language and the concept of home, and how the concept of home relates to the concept of the nation-state, which is inherently racist and sexist. Um, and it has to be, because it was part of the colonial, you know, like the, well, that's one of the tools of colonization, is to block everybody off into nation-states. So um, I was wondering if you, during your time traveling and, and, and contemplating about, you know, where am I from and what is home exactly... Um, I, I don't have the experience of being taken out of the continent. I have the experience of being taken off of my ancestors' land, so twice removed. And then, you know, so, like, my granddad was forcibly removed from the ancestors' land with his young family and then bought a piece of land that obviously belonged to someone else's ancestors, problematic. And then my parents decided to move to Harare and live in the city. So I'm an urban child who grew up speaking English and was apparently lost but living in, in Zimbabwe. So the concept of who I was and where home was, like people would always ask me, who are your ancestors? Where's your land? You don't even know where you come from. You can't even get back there. You're going to get lost. Like, you don't know who you are. So I constantly lived with that. So there's a constant questioning of, well, how exactly do, you, do we, as survivors of this bullshit, like formulate new concepts, new ways of creating work that actually speaks to our own language and what's within us. Because I feel like this pain is there because we haven't yet found the word. What's the word for you? Have you have, is that something that's come up for you? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. Statement question. So... Something I found myself thinking about when you were talking. So one of the ships that I read at sea, one of the ships that I read at sea, two of the books that I read at sea by Bell Hooks were Sisters of the Yam and All About Love. And I remember, so when I, when, we, when I went to sea, I was living in Leeds and I had moved to Leeds because that was the best place for my career. That's why I was there. No other reason. And I was miserable. And I remember reading this slight bell hooks thing about about her decision to move back home to where her family was because that was where there was love in her life. And my nan had died and it completely shattered me because I always thought I'd be there for her death. Like this person who never saw me as adopted and always saw how tired I was, even when no one else could see it. 
I always thought I'd be there for her death and there for the rituals that surrounded that. I always thought I'd be there to support my mum with that grief and I wasn't there. And so, like, on that trip, I was like, yeah, when I get back, I'm moving back to Birmingham, like, immediately, because that's where all the love in my life is, like... And there's... I kept thinking about that when you were talking. Why? Why? Because what... So what happens... What happens to us as black people if we turn away from the notion of home? Like, this might just be me just riffing for a bit because I think it's too, too much. I think it's like a, like the sun. I don't think I can answer that question directly. But another thing I think about a lot is Stuart Hall talking about the figure of the immigrant as being like Janus. So that's the Roman god who has like two heads that are looking in opposite directions. So the idea that the immigrant is always looking to home, but the home that they're looking to stopped existing the moment they left. And they are always looking to the future of the place where they are because in being there, they transform it and change it. Um, and this is coming from like a very British context, right? I think it's different here. But also that the Janus figure is rooted in a third place, in that their feet place them wherever they are. Um, and Stuart Hall talks about this state where like, I'm, I think about that image all the time because within that person looking in two directions and rooted in one place, there's loads of stuff happening about home and time and space that person transforms wherever they are simply by standing there and looking at so many things at the same time but also I think that I think that our notions of home are out of date as quickly as we write them because of the speed at which people are moving. And very soon, I reckon in the next couple of decades, we're going to start seeing people becoming environmental refugees and moving on that basis. And I think that's going to be another massive shift. I mean, it's already started, but I think the scale's going to increase. Mm. in a particular place and I think as migrants you actually can't afford to have that as no. luxury you can actually ever have no. and if you do that you'll actually end up in, with a problem Yeah. with a really big problem and like hearing you talk about Janice makes me actually think of like a, a more of an Akan concept Sankofa, right? where you are always looking back for inspiration of how to move forward mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some, some, it has to come from from those concepts. Mm-hmm. It can't come from the English language because the English language is is a violence. And if we can break out of that, I think we'll be much better off. Mm. I, think that, I mean, that's that's my answer to to myself. But I was curious to see. But it's a it's something it, that I've grappled with for years as well. So no, not at all. For for me, there's there's something in. 
and it's in the work as well. There's something so much about my parents for me in my notion of home because they are. There's something something about adoption that I do like <laughs> is that if it works out well and you're adopted into like a family that is loving and good and right for you, which I was lucky enough to be, there's this really lovely element of chance. Like um, my dad used to have this joke that like they they went to the council and they like pulled the baby out of the bottom drawer and gave it to my dad and said try this one and they took me home and they made sure that I matched with the sofa and then they decided to keep me, um, <laughs> which I really like. It sounds really offensive, but I it's a joke as a family, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I like that there is like almost a, a randomness, a chance about that where like you know. If I go up for adoption two weeks later or two weeks earlier, maybe I end up with a completely different family and a different life. And also kind of traveling with a phone and being able to WhatsApp a group of people who, you know, once you're in the group WhatsApp, <laughs> you're there. It's a, it's, a, it's a space of people that ground you and hold you down and remind you that wherever you go, there they are. And I think that, that could be incredibly useful for us as we try and build like international solidarity and be there for each other in ways that matter. It's a great question. I wish I could answer it better. I cannot wait to see it. <laughs> Saturday. So I feel like technically we should have wrapped up a while ago, but I do want to get to the two questions. So I know it's a work nights so where people do need a bounce it's cool Sorry. but I do want to get to these ones I thought it was really interesting how you reference um, trapdoor and hyper invisibility and invisibility and I guess for me a question that comes up is if I pass who fails and this is more in speaking to your show if your shows are selling out and you're getting you know they're becoming consumed by a predominantly white audience what does that speak to unintelligible black narratives and how do you feel about that? Do you sometimes experience some sort of a, a pushback if, you know, your narrative is being excessively consumed? How do you go about that? How do you deal with that? And how do you hold that space, I guess, for... Yeah, because I feel like the, the condition of, of blackness is inherently... Um, it's, out, it's outside of logic, right? Our pain and our isolation and our disconnection is completely outside of the, the framework of logic and rationality. Um, and it's incoherent. Um, so when, it be, when narratives, when certain black narratives become coherent and they become consume, consumable within this context, then that raises alarm bells for me of some sort, you know. So how do you engage with these things as they come up and do you feel some type of way? I definitely feel some type of way. And I don't know what to do about it yet. It's something which, like, I feel like I've been... So we started doing touring this work and my piece race cards in February and I think I've had those kinds of questions since then um, and have known that I will need to sit down and reckon with them and running parallel with all of this right is that I do this for money like it's not the only reason why I do this but this is my source of income and in the UK, you can't have a sustainable career as an artist without an international strand of work. So there's that. There's both the 
I'm just going to put that. Um, and I have been, it's the question I'm like asking myself at the moment, which is, this is going to be clumsily articulated. When white people like work by black artists too much, all my alarm bells go off. When white people like work by black artists too much, all my alarm bells go off. Very, very quickly. Because... And it... Yes. Yes. So this is what... So if I bring it back to Donald Glover again, I'm really aware of, like, my first interaction with that video is a white man sharing it with the words, Donald Glover keeps evolving. And me being like, what? What the fuck is this? And also thinking, you shouldn't feel so confident with that. Like, there's a problem there. But also aware of, like, feeling like sometimes I come on this treadmill trying to outrun whiteness, that you make something and then it's just... You can't keep a grip of it. It just, it just. But that, that's not. Yes. Yeah. 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 And also how to feel, how to not be in like a reactive space and to feel, because I feel like um, those, there's always like a point when I am making, usually in collaboration with other women of colour, feel happy feel like the work is interrogated, feel like we push ourselves and then it goes out. But also there's a part of me that's like, I remember the first time we did the show in Brighton and there were maybe, she wasn't the only like, black girl in the audience, but there was like one black girl in the audience who came on her own. I've, I've been that one black person in the audience in a room full of white people and I still want to make work for that like one black person in the room full of white people. And yeah, those white people might appropriate that work and do something violent with it, but also I need that person to be seen because I need to be seen. And I, I, I have no... For me, it's like a question of, about integrity that I just... I really have to sit with over the next few months before the work goes out internationally again, if it goes... Well, it will. It has to. <sighs> like, so we're doing a project about Missy Elliott at the moment where we work with, like, um, black teens. Um, and this project is, like, really important to me because we work with a load of black teens and everybody in the room 
that they're working with. It's like a black choreographer and a black like um, musician and myself. I never had that. I never had that. But also being aware that whenever whenever that goes into a theatre, it becomes a part of like diversity quotas and really violent, fucked up shit. Like we hear people talk about our participants in ways which are like devastating. But at the same time, I don't know how I can't go into each of those cities and build a new structure and the funding doesn't happen without them and those people are entitled to part of that funding. I feel like a hypocrite all the time and I'm not, I'm not sure what to do with that. I need to figure out. When I say I don't know, I don't mean it as in... I don't know. I mean, I need to think about what I do with that feeling that goes beyond guilt and to think if there is a way that those alarm bells become a tool for me and not something that silences me as well. I don't, oh, I don't, it's a really great question. I think about it all the time. So we've got room for one more question and then we can chat with Selena outside. <laughs> Thank you. Towards the end, Selena, you had a line. I don't know if I'll do it justice and so I might need to paraphrase. Um, speaking about the privilege of being descended from those who were never supposed to live. Um, that's when I got fucked up. Like <laughs> Up until then... I was okay, I was strong, but that's, that was the line that, that um, hit me over the edge because um, I'm descended from Rwandese genocide uh, survivors, many generations of, so five generations of, um, of our living memory genocides, multiple and some of the most successful in the world. Um, so to be that descendant uh, of my Rwandan side... Um, and yet have an English father and be born in Crewe, in Cheshire, um, and live across the world uh, and hold the privilege of Western education systems and different access to opportunities that my mum clawed her way out of the country to enable us to achieve. Um, I have this hypocrisy within me, within my identity, and I wrestle with the idea of, of privilege and where to from here, given that this identity, this, this mixed race, third culture, something new-ish thing is a way of the future now. And so for some people I'm not black enough and for others I am too white. And I will never have one home, ever. So I look at work like yours and think this is a wonderful narrative to start to explore where people move ahead through that lens um, like that God looking behind and forward. So my question for you is having that English upbringing, 
but also having that ancestry. Where do you move or how do you wrestle with your privileges in, in going ahead in, in your personal life or in your arts practice? How do you, how do you hold that shit down? Slowly. I feel like I'm going to end up repeating myself a little bit because I feel like there's a relationship between that question and this one. Um, because my, my standard of living has become much more comfortable in the last 18 months. Massively as a result of this show and race cards, which were both made... I think were made with integrity and weren't necessarily made with like a master plan that they would send me around the world. I was genuinely shocked by the response to the to both those works. I think what I'm trying to figure out A is how the work can be in service, but also B like and this is something I find myself thinking about increasingly, like what are the limits of art? Because I sometimes feel like there are a lot of things that we want art to do because the world would be a much better place and life would be much easier if art could do them. But there are lots of things that art can't do. What are the things that art can't do that I want to be committed to? And like, what are the things that the whole of my person, the bits that aren't in my art, need to be working on? is a question I find myself asking. And also how to think about privilege in a way that is pragmatic and led by action rather than self-indulgent and led by guilt, which is how, in my experience, a lot of white people negotiate privilege. Just they go, oh, it's so horrible having it <laughs> and then feel really bad and I'm like okay all right now 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 what and I think the there's like a com there's something about there's something that I find myself thinking about sidebar and I'm going to come back so there's a Really great zine called The Fat Activist Vernacular by a woman called Charlotte Cooper, who's a motherfucking genius. And it's just like a dictionary of different words about fat. It's great. Um, but one of the words in it is celebrity. And she talks about celebrity being the antithesis of community. And this comes back again to what's in Trapdoor. And I, I keep coming back to... All the time I'm spending internationally is time when I am not in Birmingham. It's time when I am not in a community. It's time when I am not accountable. It's time... There's something about... And I think it also relates to these questions about home a little bit as well. And is it that home is the place where you're accountable? Home is the place where you... Something, it's something about accountability and I'm sorry, that, that's as far as I've got, I think. Thank you.
so much. Um, just a couple of things. One, my apologies for being non-excellent moderator. I just was watching this for the first time and very selfishly um, the references to Italy really stuck out, stood out to me because um, very, very quickly – my the country that I'm from was colonised by Italy and often in conversations about colonisation, Italy sometimes is forgotten <laughs> a little bit, slips through the cracks. So it really, that's when I, that's when the tears came out for me a little bit selfishly. So I've been in another world. But I want to thank you, Selena, for this amazing work and for your generosity now. Um, and I also want to thank so much the um, black people in the audience who asked questions and stuck around. So thank you. Be safe. Have a good night and thank you so much for coming.